lesson text comes from the epistle of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind. Just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you will, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you say, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did also baptize the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied by its power. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Be to God. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may be in honor and glory to you. Amen. The call for unity in Christ. Now Paul knew the Corinthians, the church at Corinth, and the people there very well. As according to Acts 18, Paul stayed there for a year and a half. And I'm probably sure that Paul knew the city well before he ever stayed there because Corinthia was a town with a bit of a reputation. It was sort of like the LA, Vegas, and New York of that part of the world all wrapped up into one. It was very rich and wealthy, and it even had professional sports, much like a sport team today. The Isthmian Games that were held in Corinth were second only to the Olympic Games. And they did everything big in Corinth, including religion and the way they carried out religion in Corinth, because the Temple of Aphrodite, we are told by historians, had over a thousand temple prostitutes. And in fact, there's a word that's hard for us today to pronounce, Corinthiazomai, which was Roman slang for to be a sexual party animal, because these Corinthians had such a bad reputation, they'd make Romans blush. And finally, to just beat the dead horse, we are left by Aelian, a Greek writer, 
a little bit of a joke that'll come back up later in this book of Corinthians, that in the plays of the day, whenever the Corinthian character was to come on stage, he was always supposed to be drunk. Now, 1 Corinthians verse 2 gives us the reason and occasion for Paul writing this letter in the first place. To the church of God that is in Corinth. The church of God that is in Corinth. Just like us, that church and the people that live there struggled to live apart. That's what it means in scripture when we say something is holy or sanctified, that it's set apart, set apart for God's use or set apart to be marked as owned by God. It is very well what Paul writes next for us to bury it into our minds that to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. It is always well to remember when we're talking about Christianity, when we're talking about applying our faith in all ways, and thank God for it, Christians are not called to be good people. But at the same time, they are called to be sanctified, set apart from the rest of the world, to be holy, and to be saints in a way that changes the whole outlook we should have when we talk about the raising of Christian children, of how to live our Christian confession, of how we should act in the church and out in the world. The church is called to be something set apart. And the core conflict of this church in Corinth was that it was often any time, but anything, but set apart. Now, as we go through this letter in the following weeks, we're gonna find that there was a lot wrong in this church at Corinth. We find moral issues, spiritual pride, leadership issues, doctrine being challenged and changed to suit whims. And we'll find that even in the church service, the regular services of that church, we find a little bit of that Corinthian character coming through. As Paul reports that the Corinthian actors on the stage of Holy Communion are getting drunk, but it's very important that from the get-go, we are not even in verse 4 here. Paul sets an example for every single one of us who would ever fancy ourselves to be moral reformers or to gripe about other Christians. He writes in verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. In every way you have been enriched in him in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's important that even as Paul is going to have to write to correct all these issues, and even though we from the outside can look at these issues, that Paul's pointing out that this is a church that believes the gospel and is still saving people despite all the bad. A commentator on this verse said that these people know Jesus. There are supernatural gifts of God among the Corinthians, and they were even excited about Jesus's return. Whatever problems they had, these are some pretty impressive strong points. The commentator continues on, Can this much be said about many of our churches today? We may be proud that we don't have the Corinthians' problems, 
But often we must ask ourselves, do we have their positives? Paul, in beginning to reform the church, points out to the good that is done there. But these positives don't offset the major issues that Paul's going to take on in this introduction today. One of the key issues in the church at Corinth was pride in themselves and seeking to make themselves and their own philosophies, their skill at rhetoric or their spiritual disciplines, whatever it was, their whole understanding of what it meant to be Christian was something very self-centered in the Corinthian church. And as the church was full of Corinthians, that self-centeredness brought the worldly Corinthian character into the church. You see, we see a lot of divisions in this church at Corinth, looking to verse 10. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you say, I belong to Paul or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Caiaphas, or I belong to Christ. The core here, though, is not the teachers. We know that the apostles are unified by the Holy Spirit, and they preach a unified gospel, and all are in agreement on the major points of what it means to be a Christian and to follow Christ. The only division we ever have recorded in Scripture among the apostles is in Galatians, where Paul and Peter are not fighting about New Testament matters, per se, but are fighting about what it means to have a Jewish identity in a church that is filling with Gentiles. You see, I, I think we get the deepest point here when Paul points out someone says, I belong to Christ. Well, you should. When would that ever be a problem? The issue, and the reason it's a problem here, is, as we dig, dive into this letter deeper, we will find these Corinthians are priding themselves, not so much on their ability to follow Christ, but they're priding themselves on which school, which leader, which sect that they follow. It's not so much that they, they really care about Paul or Apollos and Paul or some of their detractors may say even Christ. It's more that they're proud that they follow. There is a humility and a worshipful way of following Christ that is good. But we know of many who use pride and their own understandings of Jesus to try and co-opt them into what they're already doing. Oh, I like your Jesus, but I don't like your church. That's the kind of splits that are getting in here. And as we, if we in the rest of the reading we had today, they even start priding themselves in which particular person happened to baptize you. So Paul has to say, are you baptized in the name of Paul? They, they, they force the apostle to the point where even Jesus' command, go preach and baptize, Paul must point out rather shockingly, you know, I was not sent to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel. Paul must make everything secondary to that gospel because they're priding themselves so much on who's doing what and the human leaders in the church. Now, one thing I must say is this is not a foreign happening or occurrence or phenomenon to us today. In fact, I would say that following human leaders instead of following Christ is a major struggle for us, just as it ever was. We have Christians who say, well, I follow the Pope. You have Christians who pride themselves that they follow this or that conservative preacher. 
Christians are proud that they are fundamentalist and they read the scripture literally. There are those who pride themselves that their preacher, that their church is very popular. And there is springing up across the globe a cotton uh, cottage industry of running off and following preachers who do miracles. And even on the other side, there are those who are very proud that their preacher follows all the progressive trends. Christians pride themselves that they don't take the Bible literary, literary, uh, literally. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are just so many different sources of pride in the institutions and losing the plot when we get into my denomination does such and such. And the sad thing is, is it, of, it is of those things, not the gospel that Paul is preaching. It is of those things that Christians are often proud and puffed up and judge each other. Well, I was baptized in this church. That makes me a better Christian than you. Well, I listen to this preacher, and that makes me a better Christian to you. Just like that church in Corinth, we must always watch this because it divides us, it saps us of our witness, and we are Pro Protestants especially are so used to division, we've lost any sensitivity to it. Why not? I, I think there's some people who cannot understand why Paul would even bother to write this letter. Why not build a new church on the corner across the street? And sadly, this has gotten to the point where in these last 30, 20 years, we have split for consumerist reasons. Because we don't like the music, we don't like the entertainment, or, or we just feel that this church does it best. What arrogance lies behind any statement that a church is better than another church? A church is either true, preaching the word of the gospel and doing the sacraments as Christ has ordered, or it is not a church. But everywhere where there is a church, even in Corinth, we have the apostles saying we must recognize it and give thanks to God for it, no matter the way it is formed. And this is vitally important because Paul, we're going to get to this verse next week much more in depth, but Paul points out there is a dangerous poison in this. Verse seven, 1 Corinthians verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, that is, with these different factions, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. We have an issue where these divisions, these focusing on human leaders in Corinth and to the Church of God everywhere, that our witness and the cross itself is emptied of its power. So how do we solve it? Well, Paul points throughout this section and he cuts straight to the marrow of the issue by pointing to their unity in Christ. Even at the very beginning, he writes, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ. Christ is the sender. And we see if we go back into this preceding section of the thanksgiving and all these um, lists of graces and the people and the blessings, we see Paul's called to be an apostle. The church is called by God. God is gifting the grace. God is preserving. God is giving the spiritual gifts. Neither Paul nor the Corinthians nor the church of God in many places is separate from the fact that it is Christ in ownership and leadership of the church by the power of his blood, by the power of his leadership that is unifying everyone together. Paul, in fact, only claims the authority by Christ called to be an apostle of Christ. 
He is credited for all the good in this church. We see here, I give thanks to God always for the grace of God. You have been, verse five, you've been enriched by him. Six, eight, he will also strengthen you to the end. Nine, God is faithful. Paul is not insisting here that he gets special apostle privileges. Paul is insisting that the church can and only ever will be and depends on the leadership and unity in Christ. It is the cross that is the font from which the church springs, and it is to Jesus and his leadership in the church that the entirety of this letter of 1 Corinthians will point again and again and again. So our major concern for this introductory section of the book is to ask ourselves really deeply this question. Are we ourselves as Christians and are we as a church in Christ? And are we seeking to be more faithfully so? Or are we deceiving ourselves? Are we as a church or Christians trusting in our own works, our own ability to understand theological issues, to apply them as we see fit? Are we deceiving ourselves that we have faith in really trying to make ourselves righteous by our own works? This is the core question that split the church in half in the 1500s. The question is, is do we believe that Jesus Christ and him alone is the cornerstone regardless of what denomination or affiliation or message is stamped on the church side? Or in our secret hearts, as I fear is so often the case, do we feel that Jesus is not enough? And further than that, do we try to tear him down and build our own system without him? Paul is going to get to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. He points out, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one which has been laid, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. But he warns us in verse 12, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the worker of each builder will become visible, for the day will disclose it because it will be tested with fire and the fire will test what sort of work has been done. Now, the hope in all of this is Paul is very sure regarding the Corinthians, and in the same way, all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, verse two, Paul is very sure that that promise he got in Acts 18, that the Lord has many people in this place, is true. For Paul writes that, Christ will confirm you to the end so that you may be found blameless. On the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful. Paul is very sure that all churches, all Christians who put their faith in following Christ as their Lord stand sure in this testing. In fact, he writes this letter and deals with these difficult issues because he is sure that by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of Christ working within them, these issues that we may think could not be fixed will be resolved in a way that not only preserves the saints, but leads to greater holiness, greater sanctification, and ultimately giving glory to God for his love and mercy. But we must also face the fact that there is a judgment that lays on us if we do not so trust in Christ. We can pride ourselves in standing against him. And if we do that, we're provoking the Lord. I am worried that it is by many fine words and by many who say that they are doing, that they believe in Jesus, 
that they, are, they, they see they are doing things the best way on the outside profession, as Isaiah says, these people, they, they pronounce me with their mouth, but I am not in their heart. I'm worried that the surface level confession is something that brings the power of the gospel to naught, and by it the church stutters and falls. We see this in any of those situations where the question comes up, is it, is it Christ's church or is it mine? Anytime the spirit gets into our minds of, well, I don't want those people in my church or we can't have that in my church or my church is better than your church, we're falling prey into the subtle way that that sneaks. But I would also tell you who are perhaps newer believers or have not thought deeply on this issue, it's very easy for us to dismiss this and say, well, I follow Christ, just Corinthians it here. Yes, you do, and that is good. And while we are saved by the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, there is the willowing ground that that confession must go from being something in our minds, in a sense of emotion, in a sense of compunction, into something that really roots down and grows within our hearts. We see the difference in the fruit of the two. That church which confesses that it follows Christ but really goes its own way, brings forth no fruit but divisions and issues we'll find in this Corinthian church. The church that deep down inside knows that Jesus is its Lord may have all the same problems as the Corinthian, but the difference is, is by acknowledging the Lordship of Christ, by following his leadership, they eventually bring forth fruit. And we know from the witness of history that the Corinthian church was an important church. It was foundational in the spreading of the faith that eventually came to many of us of diverse heritages that were not Greek. Most of us here are European. Someone had to come from the Mediterranean. And in the same way, Europeans went to many other different nations and brought many different things with them. But we all stand ultimately thankful for the fact that the church in Corinthian and all the other churches in the Bibles that were written, in the books that we have the letters written, ultimately chose to make the Lord their leader. As a final appeal to history, we see in our own movement those times where the church has claimed boldly that it will follow Christ and only Christ, that we have seen revival and lives changed and transformed. If you long for that transformation in your life or the life of others, the point is not to sit there and berate them. We must, like Paul, give thanks for those good things that Paul is doing. But if we are truly to impact others, our neighborhood, and, our, and just our lives and selves and our congregation, first and foremost in our mind should always be unity in Christ. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we confess that we have become numb to schism, and we have often run for the doors from churches that we know in the bottom of our hearts were still your church. Lord, we, we thank you for those churches that stand strong. We know that not all believers are ready for all the troubles that can come in trying to live out faithfully your gospel and to humble ourselves to make sure we're not puffed up and under your leadership. But I would be bold today, Lord, and pray for all those Christians everywhere that are in churches that are struggling. May you open their eyes that they can step into this role of the Apostle Paul, one who is your ambassador, sent to bring unity and remind everyone that they must conform to Christ. Not because they are spiritually elite or deeper than anyone else, 
that would throw them into the same quagmire. But because you have called them to that place and that time, that they may show how God is working through lives and how we are all bound together. In Lord, we, we thank you that you send, and we thank you that we need mature Christians, intermediate Christians, and baby Christians. May we never be so proud that we look past one group or the other and their contributions, but remind us always that they all bring new things to the table. Just as you have made languages, countries, and everything diverse, it is in that we find strength. And we thank you that in the many parts of your body, you are strengthening us for the ultimate revealing of the kingdom of which you are the head, Lord Jesus Christ, always. Amen. I invite you now to join us in our final hymn for today, Have Thine Own Way. <laughs>